I'm Nadelle, and I want to welcome you to Beyond the Booty podcast. I have a passion to see women thrive and take control of our health, our hearts, our identity, and our life. This podcast will focus on identity, relationships, faith, health, and so much more. It will be a place where women are encouraged to discover our worth and empowers us to thrive whole and healed in a society that celebrates brokenness. I'm so happy you've joined the conversation. Welcome to Beyond the Booty. Today we're going to be reading Choose Me Syndrome, Why We Wait to Be Picked by Mr. Wrong, and Six Ways to Get Free. I wrote this blog because I found myself in a dating situation where I knew the guy was wrong for me, but I was still needing to win. I still wanted to be chosen, even though I knew that I was dating Mr. Wrong. So let's read. Choose Me Syndrome, Why We Wait to Be Picked by Mr. Wrong and Six Ways to Get Free. My friends would say, why are you waiting for him to choose you? So I decided to really ask myself, if you've dated for any length of time, then you likely went through a dating situation where you were exposed to the Choose Me Syndrome. The Choose Me Syndrome is when a guy that is really wrong for you, and you know it, is stringing you along and your competitive nature suddenly kicks in and you're now doing everything that you can to be chosen by Mr. Wrong. Payoff if you win this game? Congratulations, you get to take home a shitbag. And shitbags don't morph into Prince Charming after you bring them home. In reality, they will simply stain everything in your house and cause a mess that you'll be left to clean up. Before we go further, let me give you a glimpse into some of the Choose Me competitions that I personally entered and the outcome of said competitions. I competed for the grand prize in the following main events. The Predator, The Floater, and The Narcissist Sociopath. There were other competitions that I entered, but I'll highlight these three doozies for your entertainment. The Predator was a friend that I'd known for about three years. Miraculously, after my husband Matt passed away, he professed his love for me. He said all the right things and talked about how we were meant for each other. I was vulnerable and broken, and the thought of not being alone was highly intriguing, and so I listened. I also ignored all the red flags burning red flags. You know, the kind that are so apparent that you know you're about to be set on fire, but you tell yourself that maybe this time will be different and perhaps your love and devotion will change his black heart. Yeah. I looked past the fact that he was regularly calling his daughter's mother a see you next Tuesday or the time that he ghosted me for days on end or all the other times that he didn't keep his word. I also stayed when I saw the text that read, craving your touch, sent to another woman. Why do I mention this one text? Because it's the same exact line that I'd sent to him just days earlier. I still throw up in my mouth a little bit at the thought of sending him this text. I simply craved company and the loneliness was so painful that his behavior seemed like a better option. So I stayed and I competed for three months. The floater was so unintelligent that we couldn't get a conversation started. So we stopped trying. 
Who needs intellectual stimulation anyway, right? He was a physically beautiful human and he was fun, but he couldn't spell. And he didn't know the difference between there, there, and there, or most other words. His group of friends represented the proud floaters, the dope heads, and those who lived in vans and climbed rocks all day. For the record, I have nothing against rock climbing, floating, or living in a van if that's your thing. Rock on. But I knew that he wasn't exactly going to be a good partner, husband, or father to any future kids that I might have. Can we all have a moment of silence while we cringe at this thought? He trolled Instagram for hot girls because people drooled all over him. And then the competition was on. I had to win. I had to be chosen. I fought through posting my own hot pics so that he would like them. And if he didn't, I became emotionally unstable. I began to only wear heels because that's what he preferred. Ladies, I wore wedges with a bikini on sand. I proceeded to pretend that I enjoyed all large rocks, vans, and adrenaline just to compete, pulling my shoulder for three months from too much climbing. In this round, I was rebounding from the predator and convinced myself that I just want to have fun. Cue Cindy Lauper's hit that's going to stay stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Sorry. After all, I had convinced myself that I deserved to float and enjoy life after a death and a predator. I was so alone in the floater's company that I started to become clingy, hoping that he could fix everything. I competed for seven months. The sociopath narcissist created a storm of chaos that no one knew how to navigate. If you have ever dated a narcissist, you relate to that line very well. He was crazy, but not everyone knew it because he was also manipulative and even charming to his flock of unknowing admirers. This was the one who loved bomb me. If you don't know what love bombing is, it's basically when someone creates confusion and flattery and dependence all at once through overcommunication, frequent calls, endless texts. They need to see you as soon as possible. They compliment everything about you and they basically fall head over heels in love with you in days. In short, it's that too much too soon. I write about love bombing and more narcissistic behaviors in a blog post called Dating the Devil. He told me that I was his soulmate and then basically lied about everything from his past to his present to what his future held. He was always the victim in his storylines. He borrowed thousands of dollars that I never saw again and cheated with anything that took any interest in him, all while he mooched off of me. Still, while I was in the middle of not seeing clearly, I competed to be chosen among the other women he was pursuing as friends, followers, or otherwise. I competed for seven of the longest months of my life. Okay, you might be thinking that I'm nuts and perhaps even dumb. These stories sound made up. Unfortunately, they're not. They're very real. But every single day, beautiful, intelligent women are doing the same thing in secrecy. As for me, I'm fairly level-headed, pending a few monthly hormonal factors in LA traffic. I'm kind, I'm empathetic, I'm smart, I'm successful, I'm funny. 
I'm caring, and I am strong. But during my competition days, I was also broken. Brokenness comes in varying degrees and shows up in various aspects of our actions. Brokenness will likely be the reason that incredibly powerful women will fight for men who are beneath them. I see it all the time. I have phenomenal friends who settle for men who are not on their level spiritually, financially, emotionally, or in any other capacity. When I ask them why they're fighting, the reason ultimately comes back to our desire to be chosen in our brokenness. These experiences also begin to layer on each other until we stop the cycle. Okay, what do I mean? The predator came into my life in a time when I was vulnerable and emotionally unhealthy. I shouldn't have let a a man in, but we don't always follow our logic and loneliness and fear. His actions paired with my instability were a perfect recipe for my own issues to rise to the top. Here's some truth for you. No man can make you feel something you don't already feel about yourself. For example, the predator did not create inadequacy and worthlessness in me. I was so unstable that I believed everything that he did was because I wasn't good enough. And so these feelings came flooding back in from a different experience that I hadn't patched up through healing. If I get honest with myself, I had issues with feeling inadequate from the time I was a child that he simply pulled out of me. When the predator exited, I carried the scars into the encounter with the floater. And because I was still unhealed and now further damaged, I got even more needy and more competitive. And it goes on and on as we go from relationship to relationship, damaged and dangerous to our future self. Do you know women or have you been the woman who serial dates or jumps from one guy to another to the same results? We have to jump off of the merry-go-round and face ourselves. A guy can't fix us. And we now have so many layers on that the right one can't even find us under our pile. But there's hope. You're not too far gone. You're not alone. And you're not dumb. Here's how I finally got free of needing to be chosen by the wrong guy through healing myself. Number one, I stopped dating. I realized that my brokenness was attracting the most insecure, broken, and messy guys that I could find. I needed to heal from Matt's death. I needed to heal from feeling loneliness with anybody and from all the things that these men highlighted for me. Some of my scars were from childhood, some were from the trauma of losing Matt, and some were simply based in fear and not believing that God could reconstruct my life in due time and that he could make it even better. Whatever these men are highlighting for you, stop, evaluate, and take note, and then face these truths honestly and openly with yourself, with a trusted confidant, or even with a counselor. Number two. I changed the narrative about myself. This came through my faith and my spiritual walk with Jesus. The Bible and our creator define who we are and how he made us. We are cherished, we're valuable, and we're made in his image. I began to replace all the negative and false narratives with truth from the Bible. I share the things that I spoke 
to and about myself each day in a blog post called 69 Truths That Change Your Selfie. There's so much jargon out there about all self everything. Changing a lifelong narrative is hard. It's a daily exercise and it is not something that happens overnight. We're literally replacing every word, every action we took personally, every person who rejected us, this could have been a parent even, and then coming to an understanding that some things were never about us. Some things were not real and that God sees us as beautiful, worthy, and valuable. Number three, I began to enjoy time alone, getting to know myself, what I enjoyed, what I liked to eat, and what I liked to do. I really dated myself. Okay, I hate that term as much as the next person, but it works nonetheless. And I released the idea of dating anyone else. I just said no to dating. I said no to giving guys at the gym my phone number, and I said no often. Okay, not that often. I live in LA and the guys here expect that you make the first move, but that's another blog. I even removed distractions that I knew were triggers for me, like social media, so that no one could slide, slip, or tiptoe into my DMs. Self-awareness is key when you're truly ready to heal. So if you know you're not strong enough to not respond to that eggplant and peach, then take it down until fruits and vegetables annoy you. Number four, I worked out a lot. I discovered that I loved working out after Matt died. So I focused on various goals for myself and this became a very positive outlet for me. The payoff was that I started to love how strong I became and how I started looking and feeling. I lost over 30 pounds and this new confidence further helped me to begin to love myself. Now, I'm not suggesting that this gets to the core of our issues. In fact, for a period of time, I was overdoing it and used the gym as a distraction because even healthy outlets can become crutches if we overdo them. But find something healthy to focus some energy into and tackle this in a healthy way, giving it the appropriate time. Number five, I surrounded myself with a community of friends and family who were healthy who spoke truth to me, and who could see all the things that I stopped seeing about myself and the situation that I was in. A community of people who are stable, healthy, and who'll help you and who'll help carry you when you're broken are absolutely priceless. Don't try to do everything alone. Pick one or two trusted confidants that will not judge you, but they'll be gentle with you as you unravel your heart. There's a time to do healing alone with Jesus and a time to rely on people. Both are good. Finally, and most importantly, I became very intentional about dealing with my layers and layers of brokenness, which included fear and facing my weaknesses. So much content out there will tell you that there's five quick steps to healing, but there is no magic way out of a valley. You have to work your way up to the mountaintop. You have to climb. You're going to be tired. You'll think about giving up and the same old feelings of numbing the pain with anybody and anything are going to start to whisper to you. My crutches were wrong men, unhealthy company, and distractions in the form of social media. The minute you decide that you're going to start healing, all of your crutches will come calling, texting, knocking, and talking. 
just say no. No is a complete sentence. We want the easy way out of everything, but healing is not easy. It's messy, but it's worth it. I started asking myself hard questions and I answered honestly. I wrote a lot. That's an outlet for me. I also recorded messages to God on my iPhone voice recorder when I was really lonely and I let myself feel pain. Yikes. That's a scary one for us. We like to sweep it under the rug and go. I cried a lot and I wept on other days. I found that the beach was a good place for me to get away and I'd spend three to four hours sitting on the sand, listening to worship music and just feeling pain. This might be the hardest thing to do, feel. I realized that feeling deeply and crying hysterically will not kill you. I also realized that not doing those things and settling for mediocrity will, very slowly and very painfully. I read the word of God and I did Bible studies. My favorite ones are Beth Moore studies and the one that I'm currently doing is called Jesus One and Only. However, Beth Moore has a lot of different options for studies if you want to look into that. I listen to two to three sermons a day on YouTube as well from various pastors. My favorites at the time were Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church, Erwin McManus um, from Mosaic, and Michael Todd, so that I could begin to get the word of God inside of me. Is that extreme? Yes. But so was my need for breaking the cycle. When the word of God enters, it brings life, it brings healing and love, and it starts to cleanse out the lies and false narratives that we inherited and that we still believe. So are you ready to stop competing? Okay, let's keep talking. If this is you today, you should start by asking yourself the following questions to really start the process of healing. Number one, why do you need to be chosen? Answer that honestly. Number two, if you were chosen, would you stay or is the act of winning enough? Number three, if you win, are you keeping the prize? And what does that mean after the high from winning wears off? Number four, do you want this man to be your husband, your partner, the leader of your home, or the father to your current kids or any future kids that you may have? Number five, this is a tough one. Who do you say you are? And number six, this one's going to take you back in time. You want to think back on your earliest memory of feeling blank. You have to fill in the blank for yourself. And then you want to ask yourself what happened and who wrote the narrative. For me, the blanks were filled with the words inadequate, unworthy, and misunderstood. I'll read that sentence for you with one of my words. Nadal, think back on your earliest memory of feeling unworthy. What happened and who wrote the narrative? You'll have to ask yourself the same questions. And then you'll fill in your own blanks and take your honesty to God and a community who cares and will replace these with truth about who you really are and who he made you to be. Listen, not all journeys are going to look the same. In fact, they're all going to look very different. This is what worked for me. It took me about eight months of really being intentional to get back to a place of getting my identity back. But when that happened, I stopped attracting, tolerating, or even looking at the types of men that I dated 
above. I simply wasn't attracted to brokenness anymore because I took the time to get healthy in my mind, my body, and most importantly, in my spirit. I hope that my experiences and my mistakes help to shorten the span between brokenness and wholeness for you. If you have similar stories or something that helped you on your own personal road to wholeness, please share it with me on the blog. I'd love to hear from you. Also, please subscribe. I have exclusive content that I only share with my subscribers. Thank you.